One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Zara, it's obviously great that you're with us when you're abroad and all, especially because it's your birthday, but also because I feel like in future we're going to have to like get an agent to book your appearances now that you're an officially stylish person. <laughs> Can't afford the appearance fee. Yeah. Why is on Zoom? You're going to be like a Love I Islander mean, doing appearances in nightclubs after all of this. Guys, nobody was more surprised than me about this. Like, I mean, honestly, I was, you know me, I'm never speechless, but I was shocked. It was so lovely. And Style newcomer of the year. Yeah. What makes you officially so. a newcomer? Like you, you have you like you're an, an overnight success after like ten years of work. I mean, yeah. You're still totally, wearing clothes yeah. for the previous thirty two years of your life. I'm like you wearing, know, it wasn't as if it just still started. I'd say wearing a collar was rough um, to Peter, was she? No, she was actually very supportive and a lovely friend, and she looked magnificent on the cover of Irish Country magazine. So she really didn't mind at all. Well, with being an officially stylish person, and we're sorry to drag the tone down for your evening. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. I'm sorry I can't be with you tonight, but I'm glad we're doing this virtually. I feel like you're with me on my birthday in Sweden. Yeah, well, sorry at all. Happy birthday <laughs> to Sweden. Happy birthday to Sweden. <laughs> Hello, and you're very welcome to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio by news correspondent Richard Chambers. Richard, hello. Good, how's it going? And joined by our Stockholm jury this evening, offering her dues poids for all things stylish and news correspondency. It is birthday girl, Zara King. Zara, you're very good to be joining us. Hey, I'm sure hey. you've got better things to be doing on your birthday. Well, I just left my birthday party to join you, but I listen, I wanted to be with you guys, you know, my two best friends on my birthday. Uh, so yeah, delighted to be here. You're, very, you're, you're good to join us. And we're, we're glad that you are with us and happy birthday to you. Uh, we should have learned that in Swedish really for the occasion, but sure, listen, we're, we're going to plow on because we don't want to keep you too long given that you're giving up your birthday evening for us. Um, we're, we've been talking every week about the cost of living and it's really difficult to try and find new ways to discuss the cost of living or to say stuff in a podcast that isn't what you've heard on other shows or other radio items or other podcasts again. And we were trying to think, who's a good person to get on to discuss about the cost of living? Who can give us a good insight into what's going on? Mm. And then we realised, in fact, Richard, you had the, the, the bright idea that, you know, what better a contributor than our own listeners? Yes. Group chat listeners have been in touch with us over the course of the day um, because there was um, that report out from... The EU yesterday, which showed that Ireland is effectively the most expensive country anywhere in Europe. Surprise, surprise. Alongside Denmark, but Denmark, of course, has higher wages. Um, so effectively, we wanted to know across so many different headings about consumer goods, whether that's the price of a pint, the price of coffee, hotel stays, meals out, sliced pan even. So here's what our listeners sent in to us. Hi, group chat. Um, yeah, so I have a family of six and my groceries have gone up by, well, at least minimum 50 euro um, since March. And I only shop in Little because quite frankly, if I shop in Tesco or Dunn's, my groceries come out at around 300 euro, um, which is not sustainable. So yeah. <laughs> Well, lads, how are things? Yeah, so look, you'll have seen anywhere there at the minute that the price of a pint of Guinness is after breaking the six euro cap there in a lot of places in Dublin, which is just outrageous. 
like if you think about it right it's brewed within two miles of the pub essentially when it's in when it's in the city centre but yet they can pay somebody to keg it load it onto the back of a truck drive it 180 kilometres down the motorway to Tipperary or Cork or wherever and uh you know, pay somebody to unload it, the barman to keg it inside in the pub, and uh, his bit of a wage to come out of that price as well. And they can still serve it for 460 Now, don't come at me and start talking about rates, rates this and rates that. It's absolute price gouging. Um, so, my for, this place was a place I booked for my dad, um, and we had a place already initially booked for quite far in advance for a relatively reasonable price. They cancelled on us last minute, so then I had to find another place to stay for him to stay in Dublin because he couldn't stay with us in our apartment because of him having a lot of mobility need, mobility issues and he has a lot of extra needs. So then I booked somewhere for him and everything was around the same price. It was three days, it was 1,200 euros for nearly any place that I wanted in Dublin, even place that were further afield. So I just had to swallow it and pay 1,200 euros for um, a three-star hotel. Okay, so I think the most expensive pint I bought recently was in my local, it was seven euro. A couple of my friends' pints were 7.20. So all the pints in my local are pretty much seven euro now. Uh, and before the pandemic, they were between six and 6.20. Back in the day in 2019, they were like 5.90. So that's obviously a massive increase. Um, and then I also paid 12 euro for a cocktail in a restaurant in town two weeks ago, which was extortionately expensive. I think our, my friends and I were in shock when the bill came to our table and two cocktails cost more than our main course. Just a little bit of a taster of some of the listener feedback that got sent to uh, Richard and, and the rest of us through Instagram today. Um, I'm struck, Richard, immediately by that idea of seven euro pints, that being like normal now, because I don't know if you remember when you could routinely get a pint of basically anything in Dublin for just under four euro or maybe four euro something. Mm. And now the idea that like it's standard is seven euro and even a Guinness, you know, brewed in Dublin, bought in Dublin. Regular very rare six, you get it yeah. for, very rare for under six. Well, myself and Zara were out last week, actually. We went for, for, for a drink somewhere in, in Dublin. <laughs> and I was invited. I just couldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> but again, yeah, it was... He was the, invited. The, we didn't invite him. The price of, of, of a night out or even a, a reasonable couple of drinks in Dublin is, you know, it, it has noticeably increased. Isn't that right, Zara? Mm. Yeah, I mean, so we had a couple of cocktails and we were like, I suppose that girl was saying 12 euro. I think the cocktails we had were about 13 euro a piece. So, I mean, that seems to be kind of the standard fare now. I mean, I think as well, sometimes when you're out, there's a situation where maybe you're kind of paying for the ambience or paying for the place that you're in as well. There seems to be kind of a lot of that factors into. I know one of the contributors there, though, did say, don't don't talk to me about that. Just I was, We were talking earlier about the fact that obviously I'm here in Sweden and people always say, you know, Scandinavia is so expensive. But actually, when you look at the price comparisons, my cousin who lives in Stockholm was going through some of this with me today and he was saying that... Um, if you look at a pint of domestic beer, say brewed in Sweden, you're talking six euro for a pint here, uh, or sorry, six euro in Dublin for a domestic pint. He's saying in Stockholm it's around six fifty six. Imported beer, uh, six euro in Dublin around six fifty six. Also here in Stockholm, so the prices in Dublin uh, versus Stockholm are actually not that different. And I've been saying this for a while. People have always said to me because I go back and forth to Sweden a bit because I have family here. Oh, is it really expensive? And the point I've been making is I've actually never really found it particularly expensive compared to Dublin because it's it's just I think Dublin prices are, are really sort of set at, at the way they are right now. Yeah I suppose if you look at the the Eurostat um, figures around what alcohol costs in Ireland it is effectively double 
the EU average, which is not that surprising. Obviously, Sweden, where you guys are, that's one of the higher costing countries as well. So is Denmark, Germany as well. Uh, but um, 750 for a pint is regularly quoted in Dublin. Uh, Andy on to me saying seven euros for a pint of Moretti in Malahide. That's a very Malahide sort of price for a Moretti. <laughs> uh, one respondent noting he paid two euro less for a Guinness in an Irish bar in Spain than he would have here. And another one as well, 620 for a bottle of Heineken in Clontarf. That old sort of chestnut about why are bottles priced yeah, well, well, high when, uh, when they're a lot less than a well, pint in terms uh, Another of one too is that, is that people try, and try to buy alcohol-free drinks because a lot of people told me that they were buying trying to buy Heineken Zero or Guinness Zero, one of the other mainstream non-alcoholic beers because they were on a night out but they didn't want to, to drink formally. And that it wasn't any cheaper. There's people saying that they've been to, to concerts recently in the likes of St. Anne's Park or in Fairview and they're paying €7 Euro for a pint of non-alcoholic Heineken, which just seems like it's a nearly a disincentive. For that price, you nearly want to have a drink as well. Mm. And one other thing that I thought was actually quite striking about some of what we just heard in the montage uh, a moment ago, but I've um, got this too from people who were, we were asking about the cost of a sliced pan. And a lot of people were saying, well, actually, I'm celiac, so I need to go and get a gluten-free sliced pan. And the way in which that's gone up, so like the people who have specific needs, like that person we, we heard from who needed a hotel room with specific facilities because somebody didn't have the same mobility as anyone else, immediately getting penalised and having to pay through the nose, 1,200 quid for three nights in a hotel. People are telling me now they have to pay five euro for a sliced pan to get it celiac free, which has just gone up by a crazy amount. So it really does, I think, mm. penalise those who have the, you know, the hardest burden in life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, that's always been the case with a lot of the gluten-free foods. If you go down that kind of free-from aisle in your local supermarket, you'll notice that a lot of the like biscuits, breads, everything is just a little bit more expensive, which seems insane considering that it's not a person's choice to have that that issue, to have to go and get that gluten-free food. But it does seem to be always sort of at that higher price. Um, just another few comparisons just in relation to Scandinavia versus Dublin, I suppose, um, Again, very little difference, to be honest, in terms of meals. Uh, we were looking at meals for two sort of mid-range restaurants. You're talking 70 euro in Dublin, 75 euro in Stockholm. So again, like really very little difference in the prices. But we were talking earlier about one key difference um, here in Sweden is the cost of childcare, that that is hugely subsidised. It's 90% subsidised by the government. And that makes an enormous difference in terms of what people have left over in their pocket to spend as disposable income. So um, my cousin and his wife live in Stockholm. They have a three-year-old little boy and he goes to um, play school or daycare every day. And their total childcare costs for the month are €140. Euro. <sighs> Yeah, that's what I know, Gav. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so... sorry, Gav. I'm sorry. So I'm leaning back for people who aren't watching this. I'm leaning back because uh, I have two children in full time childcare, and if one of them could get away for 140 euro a month, um, that is astonishing. Is that because Zara, there's a particular sort of model? Obviously, it's largely government subsidised, but that there's some kind of a, yeah. a co op y kind of thing that we don't have here. Yeah, basically. So he's saying that the whole thing is is effectively subsidised, and then. He was saying that they came down to visit his parents down here in Calmer, which is where I am at the moment, just for a couple of days um, back in February. And because Matthew wasn't registered in that particular daycare, they did have to pay up front for the three days childcare in there. And it cost them €180 for three days. So obviously it is the same price you know, to mind children, no matter, you know, where you are in the world. But the fact that the government has 90% subsidy um, makes an enormous difference. It means that obviously my cousin and his wife have way more disposable income and they're not like, I mean, Gavin, what does it cost now to have a child in a crash in Dublin? What is it like a thousand euro? Uh, a a thousand euro at least. If you're going to go five days a week for, for full-time care for those five days, it's at least a thousand euro and often uh, quite a bit more. And, and if they've gone past the age of three, then you get three free hours uh, per day in something called... Um, we were yeah. actually discussing this in the newsroom earlier on, Richard, do you 
call it ECI or ECHE or ECHE, that there's different ways of doing it. But the early childhood yeah. education scheme, you get a certain amount of subsidy for free. But if your child is, is under the age of three and you need them in full-time care, it is at least a thousand euro a month. And there is a minor state subsidy that you get a universal credit of about 50 cent an hour, which works out at about 80 or 90 euro a month. But you're still paying, you know, about 900 euro at the very least uh, net. And if you think about how much money you have to earn in salary after tax and everything else to have 900 quid in your pockets, um, it, it's just an extraordinary amount. Um, is there a, a big difference? I was going to say, just sorry, while we're on that, sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say, one of the things I was talking to um, Anna, my cousin's wife about, is that, you know, this obviously is huge in terms of giving women the opportunity to go back into the workplace because we see in a lot of cases uh, at home in Ireland when people are trying to weigh up the cost of childcare and they're kind of saying, look, it's nearly another mortgage or, you know, does it pay one of us to go to work? In a lot of cases, what happens is women obviously decide to take a backseat from being in the workforce and stay at home and mind the kids for the first couple of years of their life because obviously financially it probably makes more sense for a lot of families. Um, and the point I suppose that Anna was making yesterday, I was chatting to her, is that it the way the system is set up in Sweden now, there is um, a huge amount of emphasis on allowing fathers to have parental leave as well and to play a similar role to the mother. And then it also facilitates, therefore, women going back into the workforce after they have their baby and having that support network. And I think that's something that's a really big part of the whole childcare debate. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it, that they kind of use it as a, a kind of a social tool as well. Um, I want to come back to um, cost of living stuff, but actually just because we're talking about childcare, Richard, um, you've actually been doing a bit of work this week about some proposed changes for childcare in, in this year's budget and actually some childcare providers saying that they risk going under because of all of this. Yeah, because it's the same as any other business at the moment. The cost of you know, running a business has gone through the roof just as it is for, you know, ordinary people. You know, the cost of living has gone up, but the cost of doing business has gone up as well. So commercial rates, rent, uh, fuel, light and heat, even food for kids who are in, um, you know, early childhood care or education, that's all gone up. And a lot of that would actually have to be just bought in without subsidy uh, by childcare providers. So there's a big protest outside Lenter House on Wednesday. Um, a couple of government ministers got quite a little bit of grief at that, actually. Minister Stephen Donnelly and Minister Roderick O'Gorman uh, both getting a bit of a talking to about um, the fact that childcare providers say that they're going to go out of business with this. I mean, the government has said, and you heard Leo Varadkar saying, that there will be um, a focus on childcare in the October budget. But for childcare providers, it's too late in the year. Um, September is a huge month for uh, early childhood care and education. October budget changes often don't come into effect until 2023. If creches and uh, childcare centres are already struggling to turn on the lights, to pay their staff, to find staff to hire. I know we already talked about this last week that there was a number of creches which are struggling to get staff even in from abroad, such as the situation there. This is going to be something which boils over. I actually think this is going to be something to watch um, as the year goes on because there's actually work stoppages planned in a number of creches um, come September and October as well. But just on the cost of living, there was also another item this week which caught a lot of headlines. Lonely Planet, that um, world-famous travel guide, yes. noting that Dublin uh, has become a complete um, nightmare in terms of expenses uh, for people who are visiting, noting that soaring hotel costs were wreaking havoc on budgets, um, hotel prices ranging between €700 Euro and €900 Euro in July. It warned that the cheapest price on Booking.com was €411 for a room in student accommodation centres with the second cheapest, uh, what they described as an eye-watering €428 for two beds in a mixed hostel dormitory. James from West Cork messaging me saying that he had done a trip uh, to an Irish hotel in November 2019 for €169. The same trip again, same time of the year, 
now up to 239. So an increase of 70 euro in the same hotel, same time of year, but just two years in the difference. We also got another clip in just about the issue of hotels, which is a particular bugbear for a lot of our listeners. Hiya, Richard. Um, yeah, so we were looking uh, just yesterday, said, oh, we might go away for a night, um, got onto one of the hotel booking um, search engines, had no plans, didn't have anywhere in particular we want to go, so just put in all Ireland. Um, and all the results, they were like the minimum was like 250 euro. And that was for just like a kind of run of the mill, nothing fancy, nothing special. Um, just like your standard, I guess, three to four star hotel. Um, and then the results that were coming in for hotels in Dublin, they were mad. They were coming in from anywhere between 450 to 550 for most of them. But like some of them were up to like 700 and 750 euro a night. Um so yeah, we're just going to stay at home <laughs> instead and uh, yeah, won't, won't really be going anywhere in Ireland now this summer, I guess. Yeah, so just across some of the other, um, the other elements of the cost of living which we examined, uh, a lot of people going on about groceries, so uh, litre of milk. So, I mean, uh, um, if you look at some of the own brands, I'd look at this earlier on, I went into Aldi. So the, two, the three euro, the three litre bottle, I should say, of the own brand milk is now up to about €2.59 where I went. And if you compare that to my receipt from about two months ago, it was two twenty nine. Wow! So some other people uh, getting in touch as well saying Tesco's one liter of milk has gone from seventy nine cent up to ninety five. And when you put all of these different things together, uh, we already talked about the cost of bread. Actually, one of the things I will say about our listeners is that some of our listeners were in talking about you know paying twelve euros for a loaf of specialist sourdough bread in fancy places and I was like well look that's your choice uh, I was wondering if that was that poo you know that famous poo bread I'm getting sidetracked here sorry poo bread you know the poo bread it's, probably meant, it's meant to be good for making you poo it's very big on Instagram oh is this the bread that makes you go yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but I don't know if, it's that, if that's it but it's, it's not really related to what a lot of people are doing but actually we had another clip just here's another just example right? you know the increase in the cost of sliced pan went to my local shop the other day to buy a sliced pan normally cost two euro 75 cent nearly fell over when the cashier asked me for €3.20. Euro so, uh, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the different issues there. Um, some of the other ones, which are obviously a lot of focus on them, electricity is going to be ones we go yeah. into for later on in the so year. So some of the monthly figures that we've got back for, for people's electricity bills now, people who have fairly modest houses, two adults, two kids, no one's there during the day, still talking about four or €500 euro per month on electricity now. People for whom the €200 euro credit just immediately burn through in a matter of not even weeks, days. Just completely gone. And then, yeah. of course, those people being exactly the generation who are now looking for some help before October and are told they're probably not going to get it. Sorry, Richard, go on. Yeah, so we're about 250 euros more for electricity every year compared to the EU average. Now, the, the old economist's sort of tip is like, well, we don't generate a lot of our own, which is obviously changing. But there is a huge issue here in that the cost of absolutely everything in this country is clearly generally well above the EU average, if not the highest in Europe. Um, and it is going to become mm. just a bigger issue. You know, we're seeing in the UK the issue around the rail strikes there and the fact that people there are pushing for wage growth at a time when we have huge inflation in the UK. It's hard to see similar scenes not happening here to some degree, that mm. there would be this push for wage increases when to meet that rising cost of inflation. And I just feel like when you look at what's happening here, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the elements, even particularly we look at mortgages. So mortgages is another element where we're paying a huge amount more. A lack of competition is a big issue with these, you know, with, with, with costs in, in, in this country, transport as well. And, 
it's just from looking at the, the sort of the mountain of texts and voice notes that we got from our listeners today, a lot of people are at their end of the rope on this. Mm. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we talked about this last week when we spoke about the petrol and diesel prices and we spoke about that quote last week from the Eamon Ryan Tech, to go to social welfare if they had any problem, you know, filling their car or whatever. I mean, you meant all of these things on top of, you know, you do your weekly shopping and if everything is adding up, at the end of the day, you have no disposable income left. You have no things to enjoy, I suppose, the luxuries in life. You know, hearing from people over the last couple of weeks about the things that they were starting to make sacrifices on, you might you know, you might laugh and say, oh, big deal, you can't, you know, get your nails done or your weekly blow dry or something like that. But these are things that are actually really important to people in terms of self-care and that feeling of wellness and, and the sense of well-being. And like when people start to forfeit those small things that you think are small things, they actually become a huge knock-on impact in terms of their quality of life. Um, and it also has an impact on those industries as well because they have people cancelling appointments, they're not turning up. And a lot of this is full cycle stuff. Um you know, I think in terms of going back to the point you made about childcare, Richard, you know, I remember being in a crash last year for budget day in Kiltiernan. And at that time, speaking to families being like, look, we're at the end of our tether, we can't afford it. What was that nine months ago now? And very little has changed for those people. And now they're being told that we'll start another academic year, for want of a better word, in September, and nothing will be any different. Apart from the fact that the providers now are saying that, you know, the ones I was speaking to today, if they don't feel they're properly subsidised or the government moves on their funding models, well, then that is, again, going to have to be pushed on yeah. to parents. And parents, we already have the highest childcare uh, fees anywhere in Europe. Those could increase yet again by the end of this year. The thing that I was most struck by before we do move, yeah. move on from all of this, when we did our calls to action on, on Twitter and Instagram earlier today, when we were talking about all of this, I was just so struck by just the extraordinary price of hotels. And, and not even actually just hotels, but also hostels. People have been quoted extraordinary amounts just to share a room in a dorm in a hostel. Some people were sending us screen grabs where they were being charged or they were, they were being asked for hundreds and hundreds of euro per night to sleep in a room with strangers because that was the, the budget option. And I, I think it's, it's worth remembering that if domestically, if a lot of us don't feel like we have the money for luxuries or we don't feel like we've got the money to, to eat out or drink mm -hmm. out or do all those sorts of wellness things, then part of what keeps a country like Ireland going is the money that's spent by tourists. But if tourists or even backpackers can't come because they can't stay in a dorm for anything less than a couple of hundred euro a night, they're just not going to come. And if they don't come, then they're not going to be spending their money here. And if you don't have tourists coming to spend the money that the people domestically don't feel like they can either, I think we're going to be in, in some serious, serious issues. No doubt this is a topic that we're going to find ourselves coming back to again. But thank you all very much for all of the, the uh, texts and tweets and uh, all of the uh, Instagram voice notes. By all means, keep them coming. And it's something that we'll definitely get back to uh, in some future episodes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So it seems that there's a reasonable chance or at least an official invitation for the Taoiseach to go to Ukraine, uh, which is... Uh, Sequence of words I didn't think I'd be saying uh, too quickly. Uh, this podcast is coming out on a day when the EU leaders are going to be meeting in Brussels to formally decide whether Ukraine should have official candidate status to be uh, a member state uh, of the European Union. It is expected that they will. But Ireland, because it has been a vocal supporter of all of this, uh, has now been officially invited uh, through a bilateral phone call between Vladimir Zelensky and Michal Martin, uh, Richard, uh, for the Taoiseach to, to go and have a visit. Yeah, and it is. It was something I actually. It's it's so funny. Literally, so this news news of the invite came out on Tuesday, and it was actually I think it was on Monday. I was thinking when there was all these. I don't know what came to me, but I think it was probably all the fact that Macron and Schultz and all that went last week. And mm. um, I was like, I don't think the Taoiseach hasn't gone out there yet. And we've seen all these other EU mm. leaders go at this point. We have had other Irish politicians um, go out there at this point. So yeah, it is interesting. I suppose the question is whether or not he will go. Like I do understand there was there has been discussions. Um, in the DFA and in um, government buildings around how such a trip would be made, that they will explore it as to how they're going to make that happen. It is something that the Taoiseach would be interested or would be minded to do. But there's a lot of logistical loopholes and, and things to, to really jump through if you are to make that trip happen. Yeah, obviously it's going to be a long journey if he wants to get there. But I mean, yeah, I think that's a valid point you make there, Richard, in terms of the timing of this and how come he didn't go before. Now, obviously, Simon Coveney has been there already. Uh, we've seen Boris Johnson go many times. I think Gavin made the point earlier that uh, Boris tends to go <laughs> when Whenever he's in trouble, well basically, at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the logistics of actually getting there, Gav, were you saying it's about an 11-hour train journey? Yeah, because uh, Simon Coveney obviously has been there. I think he was the first serving EU foreign minister to visit uh, Kiev uh, since the, the outbreak of, of Russia's invasion. But um, the Count Corla, uh, the Chairman of the Dole and the Cahirlik of the Shannad have both been as well. And I've spoken to, to Mark Daly, the Cahirlik of the Shannad, about this. And naturally, the security situation is fluid. So at different times, you might be able to fly closer to Kiev rather than having to, to fly to Poland and do what, what the Count Corlin and the Cahirlik did, which is that they had to fly to Poland, um, hand over their phones and everything so that nobody could tell for certain that they were meeting Zelensky or where Zelensky was at any given time. Mm. And then take a secure 11-hour train accompanied by members of the Ukrainian armed forces, where they were effectively shepherded to and from the Ukrainian presidential palace and back again. Now, that doesn't seem to have been the case for Boris Johnson when he was there last week. He seemed to have a little bit more fluidity. I think, in fact, in that case, they disclosed his visit while he was still on the ground or somewhere fairly near close by. Um, Charles Michel, who's the president of the European Council, has been there before. It was certainly known that he was on the ground at the time he was there because people might remember there was even some, some airstrikes close to where he was at the time that he was there. But if it is a case that you need to, you know, keep it on the DL and uh, not tell people until you've taken an 11-hour train over and back again, it's nearly kind of hard to know how you'd manage to, to siphon off two or three days in a teacher schedule to, to try and get it done under cover of darkness almost. Well, as in how would he manage to go without anyone actually knowing that he's left the country and he's... Yeah, yeah, possibly but so. you need to do it effectively. Yeah. with that much secret? Because like, obviously Macron and Schultz and all that, they were underway and they were on the train when footage of them was out and beamed around the world. But they were en route at that point still. Um, I do wonder, it's an interesting one logistically because obviously the, the whole point of it is it's not just about the safety of those leaders themselves travelling to Kiev, but the logistics of how people go and meet Zelensky. Yes. Uh, how they get into that inner mm. circle. There's been some profiles in like, I think, 
Newsweek or something like that um, about, you know, the inside that inner sanctum mm. of Zelensky's, you know, presidential, you know, zone of command, if you want to put it that way. And it does seem like a very laborious thing to get inside that. So obviously yeah. there will be telecommunications and all that do need to be monitored. If you do have a gaggle of people going with a head of yeah. state or a head of government, that does prove challenging when you are... You know, well, all of your communications are being monitored by Russia. Yeah, well, it, it's worth bearing that point in mm. mind because when, when the European leaders have all of their summits and they're discussing anything to do with Russia or sanctions against Russia or their approach to Ukraine and Russia, they leave their phones outside the room because they do have, seemingly have some reasonable suspicion that there, there might be some, some unwanted eavesdropping from, from the Kremlin or from, from someone else involved in the Russian armed forces and they just don't want anyone to, to have a sense in there. Um, Zara, you were asking a question when we were preparing all this and, it, and it's a decent one and I don't know whether, you, whether you've come up with a better answer since as to what would be the purpose of Michal Martin actually making the visit? Well, clearly, obviously, you mentioned and we talked about the idea of this being a very public endorsement in terms of Ukraine joining the European Union. But outside of that... What do you reckon are the main reasons for this? There's, there's two. I think there's the the natural kind of friendship thing, and that it's no harm to be on, on especially good terms with a country if we're going to have a large expatriate population of Ukrainians living here, and that we, you know, if you like to think of it this way, we would both, although Ukraine is a far bigger country, we would both be somewhat peripheral members of the European Union outside of the core of the. France, Germany, Italy, Spain, dominant countries that tend to, to run the rule over things. So it might be no harm to have some degree of an alliance. Um, do bear in mind as well that Zelensky's party is a member of the same European family of parties as Fianna Fáil is. They were only officially admitted to uh, the ALDE group at a congress in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. So they are supposed to be politicians of like mind or leading parties of like mind as well. So there might be some common outlook that's there. Um, but yeah, no doubt, and I suspect, Richard, that we'd probably see a lot of this in, in online commentary. There'd be a lot of people saying, is this just, you know, war tourism? That is Michal Martin going out there because everyone else has gone and he has to look like he's making an effort even though he doesn't really have, have much concrete to offer. Yeah, I think the, the, the answer to that is one we've, we've all sort of touched on there, that there is a, an importance of showing solidarity. Mm. And there is a feeling that if we are, these is the, like and the message the government has used to talk about when we're talking about, well, how come Ukrainian refugees are treated differently to other refugees who come to this country? That there is a sense of European solidarity there and that's how Ireland views Ukraine is as a brother country in Europe. Um, and if you are to feel that this is some sort of brother, that this is some sort of sibling country, uh, very much like ours, well then, why are you avoiding visiting if you're the head of government? You know, so I suppose that that's probably part of the thinking there, that that's if you want to show that there is something about Ukraine that's different. And I know that there's been various arguments made both for and against that. Um, well, then how is the best way of showing that is by going and visiting and seeing it firsthand that there will be tough questions asked of all European leaders about how far they want to take sanctions when you're seeing the impact of it bite in terms of the cost of fuel. Uh, food is going to be the big one over the next number of months as well. We're already seeing the impact of that in the Horn of Africa. Yeah. Grain from Ukraine and Russia not getting to people who are now suffering the worst drought in 50 years. Um, European leaders have a huge amount of decisions to make based on what's happening in Ukraine and probably the best way to be informed about what's happening in Ukraine. Go and see it. Yeah, uh, as uh, Mark Daly said to me, mm. we were discussing the, the whole approach of, of having to go over there and you could say, could you not just have a video call? And he said, diplomacy is a contact sport. You have to go over there and shake their hands and actually sit down and talk to them. And things happen in those conversations in ways that they don't happen when you're just having video calls. So maybe that is part of the, the necessity of it. And who knows, maybe in time we'll be seeing, and hopefully in, in safer times, we'll be seeing Zelensky make trips outside of Ukraine. He could be coming to, to Brussels for meetings of the European Council. Who knows, but wait to see uh, what comes out of that. Yeah, we are seeing that already. I mean, Kira Rudik was obviously here in Dublin a couple weeks ago, as you mentioned there, Gavin, for the ALSA conference as well. So there is, we are seeing sort of 
a little bit of movement outside of Ukraine and, and some business happening internationally as well. Uh, just a couple of words before we do wrap up. Uh, there's one other topic, Richard, which was coming. It's been sort of a latent theme of a lot of sports for the last couple of months because anyone who, who vaguely follows sports will know about the Live Golf Tour um, and the role of Saudi Arabia in that and some question marks around what are Saudi Arabia's motives in doing that. Um, another element of sports washing this week, Richard, with heavyweight boxing. Yeah, Saudi Arabia just wants to host everything and will pay anything in its oil-fueled uh, coffers to host it. Um, this is the phenomenon of sports washing, which um, human rights watchers and journalists around the world will tell you is basically countries like Saudi Arabia who have appalling human rights records using uh, the world's most famous people, i.e. athletes, uh, to furnish their own reputation and basically make people think, oh, that sounds like a good place to visit. That sounds like a good place to go golf. That sounds like a good place to do business. Because if all of these worldwide idols are doing it well then why can't we as businesses and as, as tourists as well so um live golf has been the big one recently uh, saudi arabia has also um through its sovereign wealth fund has bought newcastle united football club mm -hmm. uh, people waving saudi flags wearing saudi headdresses uh don't know what people think about that but it's kind of a bit mad that it the, like the main thing about sports washing and i think the people if you're wondering why this matters it's because it works um you see it online anytime you mention Live Golf, or you see it online anytime you mention Newcastle United. It's like, why should people care about human rights abuses? Because, like, the fact that people are making those defenses about countries they otherwise wouldn't in a million years defend. Mm. Because they're, they're, not, they're not just passive, they are defending it. They're, they're a Newcastle fan who might be wearing a headscarf and, and nothing else above their waist, because that's what Newcastle fans yeah. tend to do because they're brilliant, but that they find themselves then aggressively defending it. And you see it with other football clubs that are owned by, by petro states, you know, fans of. of um, Manchester City or any of the other clubs around the world that have, Man, yeah. have, have big oil backings, they find themselves not only just being passive, but actively defending the actions of governments that do stuff that you would never accept from, from a Western or Yeah, and you're going to see it again. I think, I think 2022 has become the year of sports washing um, and it's going to come to a great culmination this Christmas when Qatar hosts the World Cup and you have seen huge uh, amount of scrutiny about um, how those stadiums were built in Qatar uh, and the treatment of workers there, as well as you know other issues relating to Qatar and human rights records there. So uh, it just seems that this is now the reality for so much of the wealthiest professional sports is that if you want to host a major tournament or if you want your team to win the Champions League, you're going to get your money from somewhat undesirable sources. Uh, we do have to go. We can't go, first of all, without acknowledging that we can't talk about Love Island because we don't know whether India and Dami are going to get together at the time of recording. So that's still a big unknown. And we don't, we'll, so I'm sure we'll do a deep like dive. You did yeah. that though yesterday. Oh, ah, well, yeah, but I, I was hosting the Tonight Show last night. So I haven't seen that. So that's a spoiler for me. <laughs> spoiler alert. But what I did want to ask. Did they get together? Yeah. Oh, great. Spoiler alert if you want to watch that one back in the Virgin Media Player. How did Amber take it? She's gone. She got the boot. Voted out. Oh, sorry, you got so much to catch up on. You, you can't ask me a straight question and not um, expect a straight answer. Amber and um, and Ikenna are gone, so. And, and no one Ikenna's is there. gone. We're no. gonna Ikenna's Irish, gone. We're going to have an Irish winner, yeah. Dami, Dami and, uh, and India. And India are going to be the winners. And we'll discuss that, no doubt, in future episodes. <laughs> but before you do go, Zara, before we let you back to your birthday party, have we already heard the song of the summer with Beyonce's Break My Soul? Yes, now I'll admit I was traveling yesterday. You guys pointed out to me it had been released, but it's amazing. I'm loving it. Absolutely going to be my song of the summer. Yeah. Is there a real 90s thing happening now, Richard, between that and Drake, who's the other one who's, who's, whose song is very 90s? Yeah, his new album, his new surprise album, All 90s House, which is obviously the influence for Beyonce's, which uh, does drive a lot of stuff from uh, Robin S's uh, Show Me Love. And between that and Dua Lipa last summer, 90s House is making a big comeback. So that's apparently the vibe. It's going to be, not, it's going to be a house music summer. So everybody. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody strap yourselves in. The dance tours are going to get. 
are going to be heaving this I'm summer. I'm still here for this whole sort of 90s comeback thing. Like, everyone's wearing, like, 90s clothes, 90s music. I mean, I'm just so down with it. I'm glad that I'm old enough to appreciate it now because we were all just so young in the 90s that we didn't really... We weren't clubbing in the 90s. Well, I think there's, there's an interesting chat, and maybe we'll have a deeper dive on this probably off the podcast sometime, as to whether all this stuff now is becoming <laughs> cool because... Just music and culture gets recycled, or because people are deliberately producing music that sounds like it's the '90s, because people of our age who enjoyed it first time around now, ostensibly before inflation, have a bit of money to spend buying it all or going to see it live. Or it was the '90s just the best era, and it was worth a second round of it. Like, what's happening? It's the summertime of humanity. Everything stank since then. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, let us know what your uh, lifetime summer jams are, and whether you think Beyonce is going to be up there. Uh, that is all the time we have for this week. Because Zara needs to go off and celebrate her birthday in some officially sanctioned VIP style. Uh, Zara, thank you for joining us. Happy birthday. We'll see you next week. Uh, Richard Chambers, thank you. Thank you, guys. As always. And thank you for watching and listening. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe or leave a rating wherever you do get your podcasts. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.